Hello everyone and welcome to the Chompcast, the official video game podcast of Sorechomp. Our mission is simple, to discuss the video games we are playing, to discuss all issues surrounding gaming, and to cultivate a community of like-minded people who want to discuss gaming together. We are one month away from our Game of the Year's shows. Can you believe how quickly it's coming? It's one of our favorite times of the year. But before we get into all that, we're going to have an absolute blast of a month. We're going to start this month off with some negativity. I know, unexpected, right? You could never possibly imagine that three guys could find something to bitch about when it comes to video games. Well, to be fair, we're not going to be completely negative. Instead, we're going to do what we do best. Look back at gaming from generations past and reflect. And we are kicking this month off by talking about the games from the 90s that we think are the most overrated. After that, we will be discussing the games that we have been playing, such as the Resident Evil Village, the Winter's Expansion, DLC, Plague Tale Requiem, Infernax, Marvel Snap, and Cyberpunk 2077 updates. So, let's kick this episode off with some intros. First, my name is Shay Layton, and I am your host for today's episode. Thanks for having me. Joining me on the show is a man who has been holding it down while some of us here were not playing as many video games recently. He truly doesn't get enough credit for absorbing the sheer amount of content that he does. He is the editor here at Swordchomp, and he does a lot of hosting duties, both with Chomping at the Bits and covers for me when I have prior engagements. Please welcome to the show, Rich Meister. Rich, how you doing today? Was that like a joke? Because I haven't played shit in like the past two months. No, you've played a lot of stuff, and like, even though you haven't like played as much as you usually do, you still take in a ton of content. Like, if I want to talk about a TV show with you, usually you've watched it or a comic book series you've usually read it you know like you're always absorbing content so i i have an outlet to talk with someone about it sure sure i don't know i feel like i'm doing a lot of nothing recently i like i think we all have like not held held up our usual standard the past few months and i think that's okay I'm just watching episodes of Unsolved Mysteries and then getting mad when there's no resolution. Like, I didn't know the deal going in. You know, like, I think that's like a half joke and a half serious kind of thing. That's 100%. It's 100% true. Is it? I, uh, actually, I, I was telling you guys privately that I had watched all of Star Trek Enterprise. I had finished it at this point. Forgot how god-awful the series finale was. I truly forgot and so to wash my brain of that i started dragon prince again because watch a bunch of pornography season four just dropped uh yesterday for me and so i i completely forgot it's been three years since season three like it's been that long so i haven't seen any of that i it if you like avatar the last airbender you will definitely uh, and obviously like um dragon prince but I, I decided to just, instead of, like, watch recaps, I'll just go through it all again. I haven't seen it in years, and damn, I forgot how good that show is. So, 
Um, I got through season. Yeah, I got through season three last night, and uh, I'm gonna start season four this weekend. I'm really excited. But why don't they call it Planet Trek? Why don't they call it Planet Trek? Dragon Prince? No, Star Trek. (laughs) They never go to a star. I mean, they go to a few. I mean, they investigate a few, you know, like supernovas or star issues, but. Oh, man. You don't fly. Well, they say you fly amongst the stars. You don't fly amongst the planets. No, that's the question um, in in the episode of Community when Troy leaves. That's the question he asks LeVar Burton when they're in traffic on the boat. Oh, I forgot about about that. I forgot about that. Never man, go you, to have, a, you have a memory, never, man. I can't remember the, those Never things. go to a star. Not one episode. <laughs> well, outside of gaming and uh, Planet Trek, how you doing? What have you been up to this week? Uh, being anxious and stressed, you? Well, why? Why are you anxious and stressed? Because I'm a human being existing in the world. Oh, okay, that's fair. I didn't know if there was like, anything more like... I don't know because I'm because I'm mentally ill. What do you? <laughs> God damn, man. God damn. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. Well, I'm sorry about it. I don't know how to increase altitude after this <laughs> nosedive, but I'm trying to think gotcha, of gotcha, Bazumbo. <laughs> Bazumbo sounds like. Like an elephant porn. Yeah, I'll watch that shit no more. <laughs> yeah. Too long? Too much no. happens? No. It's just not good. You're not giving me much today, man, but that's okay. Ah, it's fine. You know, it's one of those gotta, weeks. Gotta warm up a little bit. Okay, okay. I'm just like that's... the most tired I've ever been in my entire life. That's probably from watching all that elephant porn. But while you're getting warmed up, let me introduce um, the other person of the show. But actually, wait, by the way, before I do that, I want to thank Rich for editing the show this week and putting some cram duty in so we could get some Chomping After Dark episodes out on time. Thank you, Rich, for doing that. I know that you've been really busy recently, so thanks for taking care of that. Sleepy baby. Sleepy baby. Also, joining me on the show is a good friend who, like me, hasn't been in the mood for gaming in the past little bit of time. Despite that, they managed to make the show sound nice and crisp, as they are the audio extraordinaire here at Swordchomp. Please welcome to the show, Josh Fowler. Josh, how you doing? Pretty good. Pretty pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Feeling pretty crisp? Um, yeah, yeah, don't answer that crisp enough, crisp enough, yeah, crisp yeah, enough. yeah, not 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 fresh, fresh, crisp, but you know, mm. I got like a, on the crisper end of the you know, pickle spectrum, like clearly, uh, clearly, things could have gone much worse, but it's still crisp, you'd still describe it as crisp. That's He's fair. a real Crispin Glover. Mm-hmm. Speaking of crisp, Josh, I heard, a, I heard a take earlier this week on social media, and I wanted to get your, your thoughts on it. Okay. I was reading that someone said, if you don't slightly to moderately brown your chicken when you're cooking it, 
and you leave it like white, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't mm-hmm. look like it's been properly cooked. You don't know how to cook chicken and you should stop trying to cook chicken at that point. Do you agree with that take? You, you have to brown meat. And, and I, I understand there's a real overcorrection going on with our generation because our parents were absolutely fucking terrified of undercooked meats. That, that generation, you know, yeah. FDA came out, said, okay, your meat needs to be this temperature. Completely fucking wrong temperatures they gave us, but, but they're very safe. Very safe temperatures. Um, and yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of people from our generation who just set the stove on the lowest level and, uh, and hope that, you know. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to overcook it like Ma, um, which is just as bad of a problem. Mm. So, yeah. It's just a different problem. Yeah, you've, you've still got to cook it. You still have to cook it. You'd have to brown it. You just don't need to leave it on there for, you know, an hour and 45 minutes, like your mom did, putting chicken in the oven for hours, because got to worry about that salmonella. You know, I got to be honest, like I was reading that and I always oscillate. I, I always struggle and I'm still... Years later, I'm still trying to find out the perfect temperature and the perfect way to cook that chicken because there are times where I'll be in a rush and I accidentally overcook it a little bit and it's a little bit too crispy. It's a little bit too brown. But then there are some times where like, I I wouldn't say I undercook it to the point where it's unsafe. It just isn't crispy enough. It isn't browned enough. So that's why like I, I took a little bit of umbrage with that, that that uh take that i read this week and i was like you know they're not entirely wrong yeah i I gotta keep cooking uh, so i can learn how to get better at it yeah yeah it can help with meats that cook faster especially especially bird meats chicken particularly to uh to use a lid before you flip it street birds um just to keep more of the heat in um for that initial cook that way you can make sure you cook it all the way through without overcooking it. Um, like, I would absolutely not do that once you flip it, because you're going to end up with just, you know, no crust on it. It's going to be soggy. But uh, to keep more of the heat in before you flip it, you can put the lid on there for a few minutes. I don't know, two or three, just to get more heat from mm-hmm. all sides. Kind of helps yeah, steam it's... it as well. Hmm. Yes, it's 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 tough sometimes, you know, being being a master. It shouldn't of be. It sounds like you're overcooking it. No, no, it's. <laughs> I'm saying that to be a master of cooking, it's tough, and it's a it's a lifelong challenge, and it's uh, yeah. it's it's fun. It's fun. Oh, this, this like, is reminding me of another take I've seen going around this okay. week that knowing how to cook is classist. <clears throat> which come the fuck what? on, people! Like it, it come what? the fuck on. If anything, shouldn't wealthy people not know how to cook? Couldn't they just hire somebody to do that? Cooking your own food is much cheaper. Like, even even considering the time commitment that you could be working instead of cooking it, it's still cheaper than eating out. Um, the thing, the like, thing is, like, yeah. 
if I was well off enough to have someone cook my meals for me, it'd be like a, I'd hire them one day a week or maybe two days a week. Do like meal prep for me. That way yeah. I don't have to like have you in my house. I don't have to think about it. Like just meal prep for me for the week. And that way, like I can just put shit in the microwave and do it. And also the time that I would save by not cooking, I would spend for leisure, not more work. Yeah. For masturbation. And that's also why I will never be rich. Nor do I care to be. But fuck man, he's right there. Why would you say that? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get it. That. If I could opt out, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, well off. But yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird take. I will say that. But yeah. Josh, I'm glad you're here. Rich, I'm also glad you're here. Um now before yeah, it sure sounded like it. I can make it sound worse if you want. <laughs> Please do. Rich, I'm glad you're here too. Let's move on. Now, before we start the topic, I want to make something clear. Any game we list today, we aren't we saying hate. is bad, yes, poorly made, or not enjoyable. Some That's of the exactly games we name may be fantastic games or games that we enjoy immensely. Our choices may simply highlight that they overshadow many of the other excellent games that came out during the 90s. Or maybe they're just a little bit too much overhyped. Who knows? But um, anyways, depending on the time that we have, we may have time for two games. But assuming that we're not going to have time, we're going to start with our number one choice. And Rich, I'm going to throw it to you first, as is usual here. What sure. is your, your number one choice? And let me just be clear. I am saying this is a bad game. Uh, okay. Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Interesting. Okay. Th- that okay. game sucks. Well, it's, it's, oh, it's overrated, not sucks. No, it sucks. But, People okay. think it's good, but it sucks. Why, why do you think it's overrated? Sonic the Hedgehog 1 is a is a clever concept that's poorly executed. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is a good game. Sonic the Hedgehog 3 is an overwrought nightmare that feels like half a game with a decent soundtrack and nothing else going for it. Okay. Cuz like usually when I, the I'm a little bit surprised by that because I think Sonic 1 and 2 get a lot of love and tension that they rightfully deserve, whether or not you like the game objectively or you think it's good. Because, obviously, the the core concept is there, and they introduced an awesome new mascot uh, in the first game. And then the second game, it improved a lot on what the first game was trying to do, introduced Tails into the game. I mean, um, if I could like expand upon it in a way that I think is actually more coherent and probably makes more sense... Well, before you do that, let me get to my point. Um, <laughs> you were just taking forever. Well, you got to be patient, man. Um, but with Sonic 3, I don't you hear as much fast. love for that unless it's like, and this is, this is a con- concept probably current Zoomers wouldn't know about, and this isn't like me flaming Zoomers or anything like that, but um, they don't know basically who we are. you could, you, you had the Sonic 3 cartridge for the Sega Genesis, and you could plug another game into it which is sonic and knuckles and 
they would combine in a weird and interesting way. It was a concept that hadn't been quite explored before. And that was kind of the, uh, the gimmick there. And that's why, you know, when people would talk about that game, that's why people would talk about it because of that gimmick. So what I'm saying, Rich, is... Like, well, you could do that with Sonic too. also. You can, yes. You can also do it with that. But it wasn't quite as hyped of a gimmick as it well, was. That's the, that gimmick isn't even like to me that doesn't relate to Sonic 3 because that's part of the reason Sonic 3 is not good is because they split it up Sonic and Knuckles is a different game right um, right all, all I was gonna say is um, like when I when I think or hear about Sonic 3 I think about that gimmick exclusively otherwise I don't remember much about Sonic 3 I don't usually hear people talk a lot about Sonic 3 so that's why I was surprised all I'm saying is that's why I was surprised to hear that you think well, Sonic 3 is one of the most overrated games of the night. Well, I was probably just looking for a reason to say that Sonic 3 is bad, because it is. Um, if we really want to zero in on the overrated thing, I think it's probably better to say that Sonic 1 is overrated. Hmm. And See, I think that's a better take. Uh, and my reasoning for that is Sonic 1 is a really good conceit and a really good gimmick that I think in retrospect is like poorly executed. Uh, and Sonic two really capitalizes on the idea and has the best level design the series ever had. Um, and effectively uses its speed. Whereas Sonic one kind of falls short in that. Like yeah. Sonic one has a lot more weird stop and go moments that feel counterproductive. And it's kind of like if the whole gimmick here is go fast, always be moving. Sonic 1's level design is filled with roadblocks that stop your momentum completely, which seems completely counterintuitive to the design of how that character works and moves through his surroundings. Yeah. And Sonic 2 kind of finds the stride of that. Yeah, they made one good level in that game. Like, I, I, I mentioned this before, how the first level of Sonic 1 is probably one of the best levels in the entire generation. It's all But then the rest of there. the game is horrible. Whereas, like... Sonic 2, like, you think, like, Chemical Plant Zone is a fucking bop, my man. Like, yeah, Sonic 2 has, it has lows and it has highs, but it's not, like, it's all downhill from the intro, and I think that is probably the case in Sonic 1. And it's overrated because it's the first entry in a series that introduced one of the most iconic characters in video games. Yeah. Like, uh, like it's beloved for that reason. I really like that take because I... I grew up, obviously, with Sega Genesis. I grew up playing Sonic 1 and 2. And I have a special place in my heart for those games. But hearing you say, like, talk about the stop and start of the first game, I absolutely agree. And I even think back to um, Sonic 1. What you guys are talking about, the first level, does a really good job of displaying you know, the speed that Sonic has and kind of the, the concept of the game. And then you think about the rest of the levels and... Um, uh, Green Hill Zone or whatever it's called in oh, the first. Oh no, game. Marble Zone. Ooh. Yeah. Well, that yeah. yeah that that Marble Zone is weird because I don't know if you guys remember this. There's a part of one of the levels where you have to go underneath the crushing blocks and then like go yeah. backwards and yeah, like it's a bunch of starting and it stopping. It completely kills your momentum. It's and there, terrible design for that game. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's like it's as soon as you get out of Green Hill Zone, it's almost exclusively stuff that messes with your momentum. Feels right. like it's designed for a different platformer. And it's it's weird, too, because there's that part in... I, I don't mean to focus on this, but I think it's like a microcosm of what you guys are talking about. That part in Marble, um, Marble Zone, where you're going down underneath kind of the main level, 
and it's a lot of starting and stopping and then you yeah. hit a point where this lava suddenly releases and you are trying to run away from the lava and there's these slight roadblocks but they're not enough to completely stop you but yeah it feels so diametrically opposed to what the whole level was trying to do in the first place which is start and stop you and then suddenly you're just rushing it and it feels disjointed and thinking yeah. about that and comparing it to the second game where the second game does a really good job like uh thinking about in the casino level even where you're you're constantly racing through these areas and then you'll hit the slot machines and you're bouncing around which was kind of a precursor to sonic spinball in some ways which is a later game release which is sonic pinball essentially on the genesis but where you're constantly even moving in that pinball style slot machine area that it, it feels like you're constantly moving as sonic and tails and so, i like pachinko too exactly so rich i think that's a i think that's a much better take and like it it, it sucks to say that because i really do like sonic and they, it did obviously a lot for the genesis it put the genesis or i i, I would say it brought sega to the next level with the genesis by would having you say that sonic. sega does what nintendo don't <laughs> sure I'm glad you fit that in there. I, I love how they tried to make it look so extreme and everything. And then, you know, the Nintendo and then it was came with a tream. gun. It wasn't extreme. Yeah. It was just yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, right? But I, um, <laughs> I, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I still think it was a good game. I still think it was very impactful and monumental in some ways and rich i know you do as well you did a chomping at the bits episode on it so obviously you don't you you can recognize clearly the, you didn't listen to that episode if you think that um well no i'm saying you could no, you was, can recognize the the impact it's important. That it had it's absolutely yeah it's important but yeah i like i get your point I, I do think it is a prime candidate for saying that it's overrated and the thing is like if you look at the like there are a bunch of people who have opinions about the top uh games of the 90s the first sonic always makes it into those lists and it's confusing to me why they wouldn't put sonic 2 there which is obviously the better game and they built so much on the concept of one and i understand you wouldn't have two without one but why wouldn't you put the better game there so yeah i i do think sonic one is a great choice for this list thank you your approval means everything to me I know. I know. Um, so for me, this one, I, I, I expect to catch a little bit of heat, but it's kind of the same reason that I um, was just talking about with Sonic. Resident Evil 1, I think, is uh, one of the most overhyped, overrated games of the 90s. By far. And the reason is, uh, the number one reason is Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 are vastly superior to the first one. Obviously, the first one was kind of uh, like a good concept there, and they had the bones, they had everything going for it. But I think two and three expand upon what one was trying to do so so much more, and does it better than what number one was trying to do. And again, that's not to say that Resident Evil One is a bad game. That's not to say that. But that um, is what you're saying, right? No, not at all. Not at all. I think one is a good game. I think I think that, you know, when I think about the top games of the 90s and then I read these lists and I constantly see the first Resident Evil is on there, it's confusing to me because when I talk to people who 
really like Resident Evil. It a lot of people they don't cite Resident Evil one as their favorite game from that era. It's usually two or three, and that's I mean that's a little bit contradictory to my own point. Is it really overrated at that point? Well, I do think it is in terms of when you look at the top nine games of the nineties lists. It's consistently on there, and unfortunately, this game suffers i think more than the others for not being able to hold up as well not that the other games hold up particularly yeah. well in terms of mechanics and stuff and graphics either but i i think the original trilogy all kind of suffer in that department but fortunately the entire original trilogy all have pretty fucking good remakes yeah yeah one in particular really feels like you're fighting the controls more so than the enemies like, I, I know people look back at all tank controls like, oh, God, how do we play like this? But a lot of that still worked pretty well. The tank controls in Resident Evil 1 are just painful to go back to. Um, and it probably doesn't help just that the level design is, oh, you're trapped in a mansion for, you know, the entire opening chunk of this game with, with just tiny, you know, tidy like corridors that walking straight down a corridor is a task. Um, Tiny corridors and fixed cameras. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. Your point, Josh, I like, how do you guys feel about this? Do you guys think that like two or three are objectively better games than the first one? Oh yeah, absolutely. They are. They, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. They improve upon like, I don't I think they were still you're still fighting controls a little bit in both those games. For sure. But I think they uh use level design a little bit more smartly. Um introduce some more memorable staples of the series. But I mean one is one is iconic, man. Spencer Mansion's iconic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean like just the campy dumb horror is great. The story beats the just the dumb fun of it in one is great, but dear lord, playing that game at this point is painful. Mm. It's in like, that's, that's another one of the, thing, the things too, that I was thinking about when I came up with my choices, because I was thinking about some other games that consistently make those, those top lists. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about, honestly, I was thinking about putting Ocarina of Time um, as my number one choice at first, but then I thought about it. And I was like, that game's still playable. Like, even if you go oh, back yeah. and play, I mean, it is clunky. It isn't the per like, but the, it's not overly clunky. Like, no. it still feels good. Yeah, it's still action. way less clunky than stuff that releases today, which is insane. That, like, yeah, yeah. that N sixty four game is still a delight to play. It, yeah, it's still it's still fun, and they're like, even yeah. though it would be painful sometimes with like switching camera angles and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There's there's a there's a level of I don't want to say nostalgia. There's a fluidity to it. No, that's not... Well, for, for you, that's fair. What I was going to say is, like, there's something novel about that, in a way. Like, it's, it's a little bit annoying, but it's like, eh, this, yeah. is, this is how it was in the 90s. But, like, going yeah. back to play the first Resident Evil, and even 2 to, and 3 to some degrees, in just the original form, is clunky as fuck. And it would be very frustrating. And it would, it would pass the point of being novel. But yeah. that's not the point of why I would say it's overrated per se. I would say it's more like, I don't think the first one 
in many ways holds up as well as two and three. And it's a little unfair because that's the game that came first. And I recognize that, but I do think that two and three just expanded upon it so much more on the, on the franchise. And I think that when you're, you're listing the games, yes, you can pay homage to the the first game, which, um, was proof of concept, which, it laid the groundwork for two and three and many other horror games to exist. But I do think that two and three were just objectively much better games. And when I'm looking at those top lists, I feel like those games should be on the list and not number one. And the authors can say, we recognize that the first game, it paved the way for these games to exist. You can pay homage to the first one while acknowledging that two and or three are better games. So that's where I'm at with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was I was surprised. I thought I was gonna get some shit for that one. Yeah. I was like, I've been preparing mentally since last night. I was like, oh man, someone's yeah. gonna say I'm a fucking. Oh, you must have forgotten this. me attempting to play that again this spring and and talking oh, about I how much I, it was just I nearly unplayable. Played it again recently. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that probably that. helps for making your case is us having recent exposure to it and and yeah, thank God. realizing all its failures. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, Josh, what what is your number one most overrated game from the nineties? Um, Pitfall for the SNES. I I felt like we should spread the love around as far as you know who are giving crap here. Um, Super Mario Kart. I almost put that on my list, bro. Yes. Is very overrated. Um. The, wait, which the N64 Super Mario Kart, or the original the first one, on the SNES? The Super Nintendo Super Mario Kart. Um, it's not a bad game, but that Mode 7 here, game. you're racing. Like, it's totally 3D nonsense. Just didn't really work all that well. Um... Yeah, like the, it's it's one of those things where <sighs> frankly some of like just the behind the shoulder tar- type arcade racing games that had come out before Mario Kart were significantly better experiences than going to some, you know, janky, you know, semi top down ish thing that Nintendo was trying to pull with that game. Um It's no F Zero. Yeah, oh I mean but F Zero was even kinda doing the same thing. Uh but at least they were leaning into it being kinda nearly uncontrollable and hey let's just make you go really, really fast. So it's it's yeah, fun yeah, that you're flying off the, the course off all this. the time. Um Yeah. I mean I don't know if I hear the fervor like I, I definitely hear where you're coming from. Um, I don't think Mario Kart's quite there until Mario Kart 64, so you, yeah, it's probably fair to say you're right. Yeah, yeah, like, I, I think that a lot of people are like, oh no, Mario Kart's great, just full stop. The first one was pretty janky, and I think having an actual 3D camera in there, but once you got to Mario Kart 64, really, really made significantly. it significantly more playable. Um, and then on top of that, you also have all the four player modes in there that were just 
insanely good on top of that. Like, the game was better, period. And then it was so much fun and so easy to play with friends on Mario Kart 64. Super Mario Kart is um, the first time we were able to play as Bowser, and since then our society has been inherently more evil. Yeah, yeah, that was probably 92. That sounds about right. Yeah, that was that was around when things started. Well, hitting the, yeah, it's hard to a say. Child could, a child could gaze upon Bowser in all his glory and declare, yes, that is me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I to be honest with you, that was on my short list as well, Josh. I think that um, kind of the same reason we said before that I think Super Mario 64 or Super Mario Kart 64 built off so much of what the original did but also it objectively was not the greatest proof of concept um or sorry it was a good proof of concept it wasn't executed well very well like i even remember sometimes when you're racing and this is a way to make it competitive that some of the racers would just the computer controlled racers would just blow by you yeah and then they would start slowing down so it could feel competitive for you to kind of catch up and that is that felt so cheap. Like, even now, it feels even cheaper than it yeah. did back then. At this point, they basically tweak the AI to, to make them, you know, drive better or worse. But a lot of these early games, in order to make them competitive, the AI would just cheat. Like, that's, like you saw this a lot of the time with... It was most egregious in, like, fighting games, where you get to the last boss, and the last boss would just fucking cheat on a lot of these arcade games mm-hmm. um which sucks all predicated on taking your money yeah yeah but some of that was still kind of kind of there in mario kart which is not needed because it's it's like a fun light-hearted game like the the, the whole shell mechanic thing has always kind of been there to be you know just this disruptive element but then the ai would also just kind of cheat yeah, it was like the it was like whatever the algorithm and obviously I'm probably talking out of my ass here. It always felt like the game chose which uh which of the, you know, eight characters on the on the um on the track. There'd be a few of them that are, you know, they, that the computer wants to win and you're going to have to work yeah. your ass off to beat them. And then there are a few that are specifically supposed to lose. So if yep. you get, like you fall off the map or you get knocked back, so suddenly those ones that aren't supposed to win suddenly start going at a fucking snail's pace so you could feel like you're at least still in the race. Yep. And I and that and that all felt like it was like a part of the process of trying to get money out of you and this I, is assuming that these good games with were the, the playable whole circuit in arcades, nature which they were. Of having an AI be like, okay, this one's going to be the best AI. Um because otherwise, if it was like a different person winning each time, you could get like middle of the pack every time, but still win the circuit, which would right. be kind of weird. So it it makes sense that they'd you know pick how good the AI would be. But then on top of that, like you're saying, like there was some strong, strong rubber banding in that first one. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Oh, I do show. think. I do think that game is fun and nostalgic, but I do oh, definitely yeah. think it bel- belongs in the overrated column for sure. Yeah, no, it's it's if someone wanted to play some, I'd be down for some Super Mario Kart, but if I want to just play some 
Mario Kart. I'd probably pick any other entry in the series before Super Mario Kart to just sit down and play by myself. Sure. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Rich, I think we get enough time for one more. Do you have one more? I don't. I I genuinely don't do not have a second one prepared for this. Um, I didn't play any other Sonic games, so I don't. <laughs> you didn't play <laughs> Sonic 3D Blast? Uh, well, that's a to- okay. That's a different conversation. If the topic was bad games from the '90s, then we could talk about Sonic 3D Blast. I I have a special place in my heart because I I have a like. That was the last game I ever got on the Sega Genesis. Because um, you threw it in the garbage afterwards? No. Like, uh, <laughs> I remember for my birthday, this was shortly after getting the PS5, or PS5, <laughs> PS1. <laughs> and um, I'd been doing most of my gaming on the PS1, but I still really enjoyed my Sega Genesis. There were still games that I loved to play on there. And I'd go back and forth between the two consoles. And I remember I had this birthday party um i think it was my seventh birthday party if i remember correctly and my family and i lived on a military base so we had a bunch of uh my neighborhood friends come over and hang out with us and i remember my dad had gotten me sonic 3d blast um for the genesis um for my birthday and i was absolutely loving playing that game and i had some of my friends playing the ps1 downstairs some of my friends playing my sega genesis up in my room and It was like just this cool, like we were going back and forth and we were playing Sonic 3D Blast and it was kind of cool to us to see Sonic in actual 3D. You you know, objectively it is not a good game, but... I'm so sorry you had to play that. I I still will go back and play it from time to time. I'm not going to lie to you about that. Um, It still has a special place in my heart, even if it's not the greatest game in the world, but... It was... Yeah, for me it's Sonic 3D Blast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my other choice, I, I already alluded to it, is, uh, and this one pains me to say, is The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. I think that game is slightly overrated. Um, and th- it pains me because, like, I loved that game as a child, and I still absolutely love it as, adult, as an adult. I hold it in very high regards. Um, so much so that there was, there was a local uh, entertainment store in my, my hometown, and I would when my dad would want to go there, he'd ask me if I'd want to go and I'd go with him just to read the manual of, um, the legend of Zelda Ocarina of time back when they had manuals and I would read it because I would sometimes get stuck in the game. And he saw that I would go read this manual all the time and I was playing baseball. And he said, if you can hit a home run by the season's end, I will buy you that manual. And he ended up buying me that manual. And, um, I did not hit the home run, but he bought it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I just, I loved, I loved that game. I spent so much time in that game. But when I think about that game, objectively, um, while I recognize that it had a lot of impact in gaming, it did a lot for game. It really did. I also think that it's held up to such lofty heights that I feel like it, it when you actually play the game versus what people's perceptions are of that game, it can never be it can never be reached by that because I think it was it was a technological marvel in terms of what it did for three D gaming and um, the puzzles and stuff that integrated into the game very well. 
I think that it had a really cool story. But I also think it was a product of its time where there was a lot of starting and stopping where the pacing didn't feel as good as it could have. Um, granted, again, this is more of a time or a, a result of the time to which it was released. I think that's part of it, that it, it doesn't feel as seamless as it could, whereas I feel like some of the other Zelda games that have come out since then feel more seamless in terms of what it's trying to do. I think Majora's Mask has better pacing than uh, Ocarina of Time, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I don't think all the Zelda games do better with pacing, but I do think yeah. uh, Majora's Mask does have a little bit better pacing. But with Ocarina of Time, mainly for me, it is that like I think it is a great game. It is one of the best games to come out of the 90s, but I also think that people hold it in such high regard that... Um, that if, if I was someone who had never played that game and then I played it, I would think, why do people love this game that much? It is a great game, but is it this good of a game? I don't think so. And you could put other games in that category too, from the nineties, like final fantasy seven is another one of those. I think that like is objectively is a great game, but people hold it in such high regard that if you go back and play the original, you're like, why do people love this that much? I think Ocarina of Time is a little bit more guilty of that, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I still love that game. I still think it's a great game, but I do think it, it belongs in the overrated column. Belongs in a museum. Nah, that game's real good. It is. It is. Like, do you guys think it's overrated at all, though? Or no? Uh, almost definitely. <laughs> but I, like, I think the reason it gets that level of acclaim is because yeah. it is in a small category of things that hold up in the sense that Ocarina is, and we already talked about this, and we talked about it before, that game's still really fun to pick up and play today, and you can't say that about everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was, this was a... Uh, there was a real split between the N64 and PlayStation at the time, between what each was good at uh less so to do with hardware than to do with storage medium um like cds are drastically drastically larger um than solid state storage especially at the time um that has kind of flip-flopped at this point because of mm-hmm. the way you know it's much harder to get people on board with a new disc format on a large scale, which is why at this point they lag behind. But at the time, compact disc was so far and away ahead of solid state storage uh, that you ended up with some really, really bloated games on the PlayStation. Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes not. Uh, like, a lot of the time, the music was great on the PS2 because, well, you've got a CD right there. Why don't we just store the music on the CD? Like, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and a lot of it was times... It logical, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times it just made more sense to to do that, and that was a lot of the storage capacity of a game. But then in some other games, it's like, oh, we're going to put absolutely everything in. Because we can. Um, 
and then you know opposite side of that you get stuff like Castlevania 64 where the the same game came out twice so they could fit the whole thing together partly because of you know release date pressure and partly because mm-hmm. they probably couldn't actually fit that all in one cartridge if they wanted to um had they wanted like it uh and you get an awful lot of stuff at the time that was a compromise in one way or another and and yeah. people don't like to actually talk about that um so sometimes i mean like even think about oh my god the four disc rpgs how amazing is this and that's because they were leaning into oh we've got so much extra storage we're going to make us you know make us a big bloated game and then was so bloated they couldn't even fit it on a disc which was hundreds of times larger than the storage they would have been working with anywhere else um, imagine them trying to sell like a two cartridge game for the right? N64 exactly um buy that in a heartbeat the double um, yeah anyway anyway point being um I think because of that, some, a lot of times more of the N64 games hold up better because they were still working with... Constraints? Well, yeah, the constraints that didn't have to be there for PlayStation games, so they didn't end up really, really slow-paced. Like, some, some, some... Not that that's strictly true, but a lot of times they're paced better. A lot of times they just play better because the media reads so much faster. Than on the PlayStation. Um, mm-hmm. um, hmm. That's, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, one of the other things I wanted to briefly mention, the reason why I put it on this list, is... I don't know what my point was with all of that. Was, no, was, no, in, you, in made, you made with, some good points. More, with, basic, more with, basically... Well, that, specifically with that game, I don't know where I was going with that, but I, I, I do think that people overlook that when they're thinking back about all these games they just kind of no that's yeah no that's fair that's fair the one the one thing i do want to say with this is one of the things that factored into why i chose this is i thought about some of the other games that released during this time and how much easier it was to pick it up and put it down and that's not always a qualifying case cuz sometimes you want to dig in and have a really long gaming session you want to be able to play something and build upon that but yeah if i think if i think about it where like i could i could pick up for example super mario 64 put it down for a few weeks because i'm really busy and come back and feel like i haven't truly missed out on much like there there isn't like any puzzle that i was trying to solve for weeks that i i needed to stick with the game or any major story beat with that game that i'm missing out on yeah. If I give it a few weeks, whereas yeah, I guess Legend that, of Zelda yeah. Ocarina of Time, if you are playing that game and then you have to take a few week break and then you come back, you, if you like that game has so much, so many more mechanics and there's a deeper story that if you take that few week break, you may not know what the hell it is you're doing and you may ha- you might have to. Nah, bro, the owl will tell you. <laughs> well, I get that game. There's a little bit more mystery with that game so it makes it harder to start and stop that game that's one of those games you have to play i I mean for long chunks yeah but but also that was one of the first games you could save anywhere that's also true that's also true they took it away in the sequel what a move yeah well i mean yeah 
Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the the save anywhere feature is nice, but I still feel like if if you're having to start and stop and you're not playing this consistently from beginning to end, it's going to be a, for some people, it's going to be a tough ask because that's not how they game. Yeah, um, I guess. I think it's probably one of the least complicated Zelda games ever at that point. Story-wise, probably. Like, you, I, you've got what three story beats in that game you've got the intro you've got whenever you know you move to the future and then the end of the game mm. yeah so i can i, I can like... see how that's kind of a pacing issue because other than that you know the only story that shows up is uh you know what the owl she- cheeks showing up to teach you a new song um yeah, the, the story's not as much of the complication there as I feel like it's more of, like, some of the temples and their puzzles. Like, the water temple gets pretty confusing and difficult. And I, I think, like, yeah, you guys are thinking about it from, like, the 20, 30-year-old version of us. But when we were younger playing that game. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah, it yeah, was. No, no. I'm not saying it, it's, it wasn't easy, but it was definitely more difficult then. So if you're having to start and stop that. That that's tough. Like for me, that happened. Like I I started the water temple. Yeah. Um. Couldn't play video games for a little while due to like personal things happening in my life with my family. Came back to the game. Didn't know what the hell it was I was supposed to do, and I had to start the game over because I couldn't figure it out. And yeah, there are at a couple that time, temples at that like time, that. we didn't we didn't have a internet to look it up. Now we do, and mm-hmm. now that's not yeah, a problem. Like, Everyone talks about the water temple because that's just a one giant puzzle box. And also the camera didn't do any favors as far as keeping track of where you were in in 3D space for that game. Right. Um, which I think is probably the biggest issue. Frankly, I don't think that's the most complicated puzzle box as far as those type of dungeons go. But right. the camera made it harder for you to keep a mental picture of what it looked like. Hmm. Um compared to some of the other dungeons. Uh, but also, some of the other ones, the keys are hidden in just crazy places, and the dungeon ends up sprawling. Like, the Forest Temple kind of did this, um, where there are so many different pathways and so many different keys, and you can go in a v- huge variety of directions right off the bat. And if, if you happen to stop in the middle of that, you'll kind of have to research the entire dungeon to find the next key that you want, because, you know, like, good luck trying to remember where you've already been so far um Mm -hmm. yeah 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 i like i still think it is a great game i i want to make that very clear i i still love that game and i still think it gets a lot of the praise that it rightfully should but i also do think sometimes it gets a little too much praise and i think it is a little bit overrated sometimes Um, i mean i think that about basically anything that's above you know nine on metacritic because that generally means people aren't actually paying much attention to it. Not strictly, but, you know, there's a good chance, very good chance, that the games ranked that high are not actually getting looked at that critically. And Hmm. frankly, sometimes that's fine. Like, it's a really fun game. Ocarina of Time is extremely fun. Like, they, they, they really managed to knock it out of the park as far as, how do you control a 3D game right out the bat with, with um, even with Super with the Mario controller available and, at the time? Yeah, with Super Mario 64 and with Ocarina of Time, 
they didn't have a right thumbstick to control the camera, and they they they're still playable at this point because they never forget worked within that. The most beautiful uh, marvel of Ocarina of Time and how like slapped together it was to get it to work was to make Z targeting work. They had to literally put the asset for the R wing from Star Fox into the game yep. and just make it invisible. So whenever you are locked onto something in Ocarina of Time, know that there is an R wing there. You just can't see it. Yeah, That's it's so fair. funny. It's so funny how a lot of the object-based programming in those early games led to some just funny stuff. Some like, banana shit. Yeah, like if you are able to, if you move your camera out of bounds, there's just random crap everywhere in order to make yeah. things work in a lot of those older games. Hmm. I will say this, Josh, to your point that um, anything rated above a 9 could be considered for being overrated. Yeah. Especially when you consider like Metacritic ratings. And I feel like there are some games that are, you know, not rated as highly as they should be by Metacritic, you know, like looking yeah. at Shining Force for the PC only sitting no one knows at what an 8.4 when it should be a little bit higher. Um, you know. Shut it. That sounds about right. Yeah. No objectively objectively 8.4 is a pretty damn good score <laughs> no, that, like I, I i know i give a lot of crap to to just you know numerical ratings but 8.4 i i i, I can i honestly that is a pretty good score for shining force <laughs> and i'll take it i'll take it I'll, after all the shit i've gotten all for, through all the years of loving that game that is a pretty damn good score and shining force really 2 funny. has 8.8 uh, you know, actually, that reminds me. I actually do have a second pick. Shining Force, I think, <laughs> is a little bit overrated. <laughs> Keep Maybe hearing about me that. and exclusively me, but you know, hearing that score really uh, makes me think. How dare you, no. <laughs> um, Josh? Do you have a second choice for this before um, we close it? Not really. Let me let me let me think if I can think of another one on the fly, real quick. Um, I mean, if I had to go to, you, you already mentioned it, like Final Fantasy VII. Um, you you brought it up briefly, but frankly, of all the Final Fantasies released in the '90s, that one gets so much love, and it really doesn't deserve it compared to the other Final Fantasy games. Like compared to six, compared to six, right before it. I mean, eight is kind of a train wreck, but also great because it's a, yeah. its own unique train wreck. Um, but yeah, seven seven just kind of feels like well, we've got this PlayStation. What do we do with it? The yeah. game. I mean, it it is great, but it just it feels weird to me that like seven has the acclaim it does, and all the other ones don't. Also, like. Six is arguably better, if not at least just as good. Yeah, I would argue eight is a weird one that I understand why it's niche, but I like it. And I would argue that nine is at least as good. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, like, frankly, I think four and five are still better as far as, you know, Final Fantasy games released in the 90s. Um, sure. I know. I know that's not as popular. Of, of of a take, but I mean, especially five, because five is way more, you know, mechanically focused. You know, trying trying to do new things. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I RPG love both of those systems, games, but, and yeah. I do like at the time. Like, f I think four should get more stride for a story because at the time, 
Absolutely. I think before was doing was a bit more novel than it is in storytelling now of the like are we the baddies plot line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um Which again, like not to say that seven is bad, but it's not. It gets, I just think it most gets, of these games it gets are that same least... uncritical praise. I, just, I think yeah. most of those other games are at least as good. Yeah. Is the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's <sighs> Like it was hard for me to say it, and I have to say I think Seven, the original, is a little bit overrated. It is still one of my favorite games of all time. Um, yeah, no, I love and, that game, but I do think it's overrated. Yeah, it. I think it is a little bit overrated too. Yeah, but like, it's it's hard to say that because you even look at the technological jump from six to seven. Just thinking about those FMVs that we had never quite seen before at that scale in video games was. Obviously now is very dated, but at the time I was like, holy shit, we, you know, like, yeah, it, it was, it was incredible to see that. And it is, that technology has become still commonplace in a mainstay in video games even now. Um, and obviously the technology has improved so drastically and the implementation of it has varied in many different ways, but yeah. Wow. Was that, was, was that breathtaking at the time? But Yes, I also think that there are certain parts about the game that um that get overlooked that shouldn't get overlooked and make it a little bit overrated like Josh were talking about earlier is they did pack a lot into that game. There is some fluff story-wise in that game. There is there are some places like when you look at that world map, granted it was amazing at the time being able to travel that much in a game but at the same time a lot of that is just travel like it's just empty space it's empty space or it's Mm -hmm. just rehashing uh fights just for the sake of bulking out the game and at the time that that was kind of like the transitory period to the previous generation where games were very grindy at the time and they were transitioning into something a little bit more modern, like a precursor to what to, yeah. to what we see today. But at the time, it was it wasn't as seamless of a transition, and it's a hard transition to make. I acknowledge that, but it wasn't as seamless of a transition as it probably could have been. Yeah, oh show. Yeah, but man, do I still fucking love that game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hold that game in such high regard. Um, but yeah. I I don't know, Rich. Do you, did you think of one or no? No, I mean I I agree with both of the ones we brought up, but I wasn't really racking my brain for another, mostly because, frankly, us discussing earlier, FF Seven was really the other one that like I could make a point for, and I think we just kind of all accomplished that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that that's about it for this topic. Like, I I didn't enjoy that as much as I thought I would. <laughs> it kind of made me sad. I, I fucking I love a lot of those games. I'm I you know, it'll probably make you happier. We should just do underrated one week. I think we did that recently, actually. We probably did. It's yeah. just too many of these. We've been, well, we've been doing a lot of like underrated from the 2000s and 2010s. Yeah, underrated indie I, games, I stuff like that. I can't remember. We've done 90s underrated or not yet. I'll, I'll have to yeah. I'll have to look at our topic. We'll have to list double check. If, yeah. Because if we haven't, we're definitely doing that <laughs> to counteract what we just mm-hmm. did. It was painful. It hurt. It hurt me to do that. <laughs> um, but on that note, let's go on break real quick. Uh, 
we'll be right back and we'll talk about the games we've been playing this week. So stick around. This Sunday, Sunday, at the Four Seasons Total Landscaping Arena, Sunday, Monster Truck Rally, that's right, there are going to be lots of bitches, lots of big tough guys, Sunday, yours truly, down there at the Monster Truck Rally, and we're going to be wearing Chop Gear, store.swordshop.com, store. You can buy lots of nice gear and t-shirts so when you fuck your bitch in the bleachers, you have something to look at. Raw dogging it. Oh, baby. No condoms, because we don't sell those yet. That's right, and if you look up at your sore chomp clock, you'll know how fast you came inside of her. <laughs> C-U-M. That's right. Here, let me tell you about my friend Dale. He's going to tell you more about the store.swordchomp.com. Dale, take it over. I tell you, I went on over to store.swordchomp.com, got myself a t-shirt, got myself a hat, got myself something for my dog. It's a good deal. That's right, Dale. That's right. So if you're interested in repping your favorite podcast while watching a bunch of trucks slam it into each other, head over to store.swordchomp.com. Store.swordchomp.com. This Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. I like titties. Hey guys and gals and everyone else, we're back. We're back and we're going to talk about some video games. So, if you're like me, you completely forgot about the Wait. Winter's Expansion for Resident Evil Village that was going to drop um, until the day it dropped, pretty much. So, I was pretty excited because I really enjoyed Resident Evil Village a lot. I talked about it last year. I played and beat that game five times. I had so much fun with that game. So I know that it's kind of a running joke now that a lot of the DLC that drops for Resident Evil games is pretty short, usually not worth the money, pretty mediocre. But with this one, I was holding out hope that... I like the stuff in 7. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Um, I was holding out hope that this would be really good because I think the core gameplay was some of the best the series has seen in quite some time. And so uh, with the Winter's Expansion DLC, you get a, a little bit of an additional story DLC where you're basically playing as Rosemary, uh, Ethan's daughter. And then you get some more mercenary stuff. Which I will get into that later. I'll start with the. What uh, is a mercenary? A mercenary. I know I said that word, didn't I? A mercenary. Uh, mercenary. Excuse me. I was hoping you guys would ignore it. Fuck. <laughs> you should know better than that. I should. I should. No, but I'll start with the story because that's what I ended up starting with, and it starts with um, a teenage Rose, basically somehow being drawn back into. And I'm going to try, I'm going to keep this as spoiler free as I possibly can. There might be some very minor spoilers. So just be forewarned. Um, anyways, Rose is somehow drawn back into um, the location of where Ethan dealt with um, the events of the, the core game, essentially. So. What ends up happening is Rose is in Lady Dimitrescu's castle for some reason, and she's not fighting lichens this Thirst. time. She's fighting th these kind of goopy, 
dark creatures that are, aren't quite zombies or it's the mold men from seven it's yeah yeah it's the mold zombies yeah kind of like those yes um again i'm trying to be as vague as possible so i if, think you're you're being vague to your detriment i know how what the setup is and i don't think there's any harm in saying it okay okay fair enough uh you're fighting essentially what are the the mold like zombies from seven and you're not fighting lady dimitrescu you're not fighting any of those people because those those obviously they, they're gone you know ethan dealt with them you're fighting them for some reason and what ends up happening is that um, you go through that and you kind of go through an abridged version of Lady Dimitrescu's castle. So I was kind of like, okay, this is fun, but this is nothing really new. And the other thing that the other conceit of this is you can play it in first person or you can play it in third person. I chose to play it in first person. Can you I re- play the DLC in first person? Third person. Yes. And actually, no, no first person. Yes. I thought you could not play the DLC in first person. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm missing. I'm pretty sure the DLC is only in third person, but this adds the ability to play the main game in third person. You're right. That's sorry. I mixed that up. You're right. Thank you for correcting that. You're right. Um, The DLC is in third person, but you can play the game, the core game in first person or third person. Um, But yes, you play in third person. I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting that. Uh, Which I mean, it was it was fine. It was. It it plays similarly to, you know, like Resident Evil 4 or something like that. I enjoyed it. Um, the the Lady Dimitrescu stuff, the the castle part. It was alright. And then you end up going to the the haunted mansion area, which is the second part of the game where you deal with the doll. And that's where the game really or the the DLC really opened up for me because you're in there and you're kind of solving some of the the puzzles and mysteries similar to how you did in the core game, but they're different mysteries. So it set itself apart in that regard. And then about two thirds of the way through that, the, the, the story part of the DLC, the game switches and you go to a completely different place than you were in the core game. And you're doing something very differently for a very different reason. And <clears throat> Excuse me. At that point, I was invested. I was like, all right, this is new. This is something like, this is justifying me paying money for this. I'm not doing like a recap of like greatest hits of what eight was. I'm doing something brand new. And it was really fun and engaging. And it was a brand new, um, how do I say it? Puzzle slash objective to solve. And it was a different way of doing it where like, you know, in the core gameplay, Lady Dimitrescu's castle plays one way, uh, which pays homage to Resident Evil 2. And then you're playing um, the mansion area, which pays homage to Resident Evil 7. And then you're playing uh, Moreau's part, which pays homage to a different Resident Evil. And then Heisenberg's, which pays homage to a different Resident Evil. That's what I'm talking about here. That next part feels like it's a different thing. And it was really fun to play. Um, It's very creepy. I will say that it capitalized on the creepiness and um, it was really fun to play it. It was a little bit frustrating. There's one part where um, you're getting chased around by something and then suddenly they multiply and then they start chasing it. It was fucking, it was tough to figure that part out, but it was fun and it was terrifying. 
And then you get to the back end of the DLC, and there are some... I'm sure you can expect what happens next, but there, there are some expected story beats that happen, and it's a nice culmination of uh, Ethan Winters and Rose Winters' story, essentially. Like, they, they bookend it pretty well with the DLC. There are some satisfying conclusions to it. Um, there's an there's an epic finale. I wouldn't say it's quite as epic as the core gameplays. Epic finale, but there's still an epic finale there. And then it's done. And I really enjoyed um, that part of the DLC. But where the DLC really got me was the mercenaries stuff that they added to the game. So they add two new levels uh, to the mercenaries because there was four in the core game. So they add two additional levels with the expansion. And on top of that, they added three additional playable characters. You can play as uh, Chris Redfield, who starts off with a pistol and a machine gun. And he's very powerful. And he also obviously has his punching capabilities. You can, if you do certain things in the game, in the mercenaries, you can unlock Heisenberg, which he has his hammer. Um, he doesn't have a lot of defense, but he's very powerful. Or you can play as Lady Dimitrescu, who um, she's a little bit slower with her melee. Uh, she has a kind of weaker ranged attack, but she is very, very tough and she can heal herself. And it was so much fun to honestly play as the other three characters. I actually went back and played through a lot of the missions with the other three characters in different yeah. different missions in Mercenaries because it's really fun to hack and slash people with Lady D- Dimitrescu or smash the shit out of people with Heisenberg or just like Chris's expert gun capabilities. I am the one really who knocks. That's right. Uh, that That's where the gameplay... Uh, the DLC really shown for me uh, was being able to go through a lot of those missions with different characters and different play styles. I ended up um, spending a ton of time in the mercenary stuff with the DLC because I, I really enjoyed everything that they added to all the new levels are a ton of fun. Uh, there's one, it's a final level of the final mercenaries where it's kind of a culmination of everything. They basically throw a hundred enemies at you. Where, like, the early Mercenaries missions, they're throwing at you, like, 17 characters or enemies or 23 enemies. This one, they throw 100 at you. And to try and get a triple S on that is pretty brutal. But uh, it's a lot of fun as well. It's a good challenge. So, I would say, like, honestly, the DLC being priced at $20, I think, is worth it. Um, I enjoyed the conclusion of the Winter's story in the story aspect of the DLC. So if you enjoyed that um, moderately to a lot in the core game between seven and eight, I think you would enjoy the conclusion of what the DLC offers. And then if you enjoyed the mercenaries uh, stuff, side content, which I enjoyed thoroughly in the core game, you will definitely find a lot of value in the expansion and what it brings to the table. So um, I would say if you, if you enjoyed eight, Honestly, the DLC is necessary, I would say, and to buy it because you'll have a lot of a lot of fun with it. So, yeah, I I, I figured that somebody one of us had to talk about it and I would because I loved I think, yeah, eight out of the three of us. I surprisingly liked it the most. So I figured that 
I'm eager to get back to it. I think once I'm waiting until there's a little less on my plate to do that DLC, because then also I kind of want to rerun the game in third person. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm debating whether or not I'm going to do that. Um, I'm probably going to do that after our game of the year stuff when I have some downtime. Yeah, that's exactly when I want to do it. That's yeah, I would like to do that once. Just go through it once in third person. But um, yeah, yeah, worth the twenty dollars. I will say that. So cool. Uh, yeah. And it, it kind of pa- was kind of painful this week because while that was really fun, um, I was doing some research on Plague Tale Requiem, the cloud version for the Switch, and basically I've read that it is borderline unplayable at the $60 price tag just because of all the techn- technological glitches and stuff that have been happening. Like, pop-in is egregiously bad. Like, mm. you'll be in cutscenes and throughout the entire cutscene, pop-in is happening and stuff like that. Like, the cloud version is... How? What, what are they running the this thing on? And we're like, hmm? what are they running yeah. this thing on? Poppin is a problem. Like, uh, probably one of the 1997 Max. Yeah, goodness. But no, it's um. So I decided that I'm not gonna play it on the Switch. What I'll probably do is either just watch the like watch a Let's Play video of it. That way, I can talk about it with you guys at least and play it later when i get a ps5 or um just wait completely i i haven't decided i'm still thinking about it but um that that's my unfortunate and sad transition into you guys ended up playing it this week though rich you ended up finishing it this week right i finished it last night yeah and josh you i i would imagine you probably haven't finished it yet no i've not finished it just yet i'm halfway ish can you give me a a not ruining it for anyone uh idea of where you're at i'm i'm still in the first town you have way longer to go than you think yeah like i think i've done most of the stuff there but i'm I'm still in that first you go to a lot more places than i expected in this one Mm. and there are a lot more i what i guess what i should say is there's a lot more like guest characters that you can interact with in very unique ways uh this game sort of takes its time but i i really like a lot of the stuff they're doing okay um but yeah i i finished it up uh this was like a uh i'm gonna go walk around the block and smoke a cigarette kind of end of a game Mm. uh what i can say with confidence and this should maybe make both of you feel good about getting around to this this is very clearly a duology. Like, okay. I, so they're not playing I think a third. They, okay. I think they could make a third game, but I don't think they should. Okay. Um, this has a really good, very strong ending to Amicia and Hugo's story. Good. Um, and, like, without getting into... We're going to end up doing a whole podcast where we talk about the story and what's interesting about it. Um, I think this game expands really nice now having like the full thing under my belt. It expands really nicely on that toolkit from the first game. Um, having like the first big example of that is because you obviously you have a lot of the stables that I talked about last week when I talked about my early hours in this, you know, you have the sling and pretty much all your alchemical creations from the first game, like throwing fire, throwing smoke to extinguish flames. Um, there's some new things like uh, you can make sort of like a tar ball that you can use to increase the intensity of a flame 
or create like a a throw a pot and like spill tar on the ground to get a long burning flame. Yeah. Um, the other big new thing is uh, a few, a decently few hours in, uh, Amicia gets a crossbow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have more of a lethal option, uh, to sort of take down, like helmeted, helmeted armored guards. Yeah, that was always kind of the. I love that. Like very early on, like you see the first enemy with the helmet, and like, oh no. I can't take this guy on. I'm like, that's such a dopey, like, very mechanics-focused explanation. Also, because I could just sling this guy in the fucking heart and, like, flat-out murder him if I wanted to. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. But, the, yeah. But that's not the point. Like, and the the crossbow, very... Later in the game, you get some more abilities, like, through upgrades that, like, one of the, the last upgrade uh, for the crossbow, uh, which I got, like, as soon as I could, actually makes it so you can recover crossbow bolts from corpses. Okay. I was gonna uh, say I thought you could pick up the rats and then just shoot. Yeah, the rats that's at that's people. one of the things that I'm glad they got rid of was having to pick up rocks for that sling. Yes. No. You have unlimited ammo for the sling in yeah. this one. I don't think I mentioned that last time for for base for, yeah, sling for, firing, for, for not for alchemical. Unlimited yes, rocks. Yeah. You don't have to worry about collecting rocks. Un- unlimited rocks. Amicia's just finding them, but yeah. you are limited on bolts. You can upgrade the quiver, and then one of the last crossbow upgrades makes it so you can recover bolts. Yeah. Um. And like uh like the sling you can apply alchemical solutions to the crossbow one of the like most game-changing might be is occasionally you'll see like if you see like a good solid wooden wall you can attach an ignifier to a crossbow bolt and basically make a torch by firing it at the wall that's cool um there's a couple other cool ideas like that but that whole idea, and I, I need to go back. I'm actually in the middle of writing a written review for this on the site that might be up a day or two after or a day or two before this podcast goes up. Um, I can't quite remember how Amicia's like ability progression happened in the last game, but Josh, I'm sure you've seen it already. What I really oh, yeah, like about the this King's one Quest is, progression system. Yeah, it it you progress based on how you're playing. Yes. So there are basically three tracks. There's stealth, opportunism, and aggressive. Um, and you unlock new abilities based on how you're playing. So as might come to no surprise to you guys, I had only leveled up stealth once by the end of this game and I completely maxed out aggression and opportunism. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Because once they give you the toolkits, like you don't have to try and sneak around anymore. Like through the metaphors in the story and stuff, they really want you to, but no, I was leaning into the fact that narratively everyone was concerned that Amicia was really getting into murder. Um, <laughs> like, I, she seems to be all about it, and I'm like, fuck yeah, girl, let's kill these motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> I'm all into feeding people to rats. I don't give a shit about it. Uh-huh. Uh, but that along with <laughs> uh, kind of having Hugo's tool set increase as the game goes on and being able to like temporarily take control of swarms of rats uh kind of on the fly there's other characters you meet that add new um i won't spoil how he comes into the story but there's a character who josh may or may have not yet met named arnaud who is basically a knight and his whole thing is in sections of the game when you are partnered with him amicia can use like the command uh command ally thing to be like fucking kill that guy and he will just run over there and murder someone but (laughs) the whole thing with him obviously doing that alerts nearby enemies to your presence and he can really only handle one person at a time like he's not going to be able to take on mobs or he'll get killed okay 
Yeah, uh, that works. What without? But yeah, great. With, it, it, I really like it. Without going too much into it, because obviously we'll get into much more detail. Um, what would you say you like the story of one or two better, or do you feel like it's hard to separate that? I think it's hard to separate it because it very much is chapter two of a story. Um, there are bits of one I I like better probably because it it feels a little more personal and takes this sort of supernatural turn. Uh, whereas like this game starts already there, like the turn has happened and we're gonna steer further and further into it. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. If you're starting this game without knowledge of the first, you're just you're gonna be lost. Like this, this is. Yeah, this is a part two. Like it, it might as well be called right a Plague Tale it. Part Two. Yeah. Um, the other thing, because of that, and I, I don't want to talk about, I don't, obviously don't want to talk about the end of the game, but we talked in the past about the end of that first game and how bananas it is. Um, they rightfully cannot top that fight, and so they do not try to. Um, whereas without saying what it is, all I'll say is I really like the way they ended this game because it is one of those. There, huh? We're really gonna do this, huh? And then you hit the button, the action happens, and credits immediately roll. There okay. you go. Okay. Interesting. I'm excited to actually like sit down and watch the story of this, because th- obviously this is a game I've been most looking forward to this year. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pisses me off that I can't play it. And it's... Oh, the, uh, I, I, did, I completely forgot. I did want to mention this, because I think it is one of the... the things this game does best because as far as visuals go like this game is breathtaking just like the first one is mostly in its mm-hmm. environments uh character faces who are not main characters leave something to be desired uh yeah but the environments are gorgeous in the sort of back half of the game it, it takes place on this sort of island uh area and i think one of the things they do best and this was done to a smaller scale in the first game but is done so exceptionally well here uh, because the island is sort of painted up, uh, the, the island of Lacuna is painted up of this moment of like reprieve. So you get there and you spend about two hours, like just kind of being like, this place is so gorgeous compared to everywhere we've been. Everything is so nice. And then you have to slowly watch it descend in a way that is kind of awesome. And it it's the first time there's like sort of a big open area in this game at one point. Okay. And you move through it sort of freely and have can explore and find some, you know, supplies and stuff. And then later you are forced to move back through that area when it is like swarmed and completely restricting. And I just think it's handled really nicely. That's good. The, like the closest they got to that in the first one was kind of uh, your home at the very beginning of the game. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't a big area, but it was an area that was. This is a very large area where there's you can sort of stray off the beaten path and there's a lot of extra supplies and stuff to find. Okay. Cool. Well, I'm glad to hear that the second one is just as good as the first one in many ways. That warms my heart. Yeah. Rats. And speaking of warming my heart, I played Infernax this week. And uh, I got to say, Rich, you talked about this game much earlier in the year. And is a game yeah, that it's Simon's Quest. And it's a game that I had wanted to play, but I just didn't have the time or I didn't prioritize it. And this past week I I've been trying to clear up some little games before um the last few big games I play before game of the year. And Infernax was on that list. It was on my short list of games that I need to play before the year ends. 
Yeah. And for those of you who like me who don't know what the hell Simon's Quest is, uh, Infernax is basically a Metroidvania style game. Um, it harkens back to that action adventure platformer um, style of gaming back from the SNES and Genesis and even possibly a little bit further back. Uh, there's some influences of the original NES in that and the original Sega Master System. Um, it's, so it's very much a, a product of someone who grew up on video games from generations past. And the whole, the whole conceit of the game is basically you are a knight, um, you are going to destroy evil of the land, and that's, that's the basic premise there, and you go to kill evil. But what's cool about this game, and what sets, sets itself apart, which Rich, I'm sure you talked about this, is there are moments where you can make choices in the game, and that affects this invisible morality system, and that affects the ending that you get. There are a possible of five endings, I believe. Um, if I read that correctly, there are possible five endings and each one is different. Um, I think that's really cool. That's kind of a modern twist on an older style of gameplay. And, you know, we were kind of talking about this. I don't know if you guys remember this. We were talking about this a few weeks ago about how games kind of went away with the whole, uh, make a choice, whether it's a dialogue narrative choice or some kind of morality system and let it affect how your game goes. And, you know, is kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a, like a uh, premonition per se, but it is kind of funny that or coincidental that we ended up talking about that. And then I finally played this game because I really enjoyed those, those moments where you have to make a moral choice because there were times where I thought I was making the moral choice. And then it turns out I was making the wrong choice. So for example, these townspeople have captured this zombie-like creature um this ferocious creature and it was um i had the choice to basically kill it without even like thinking about it or to try and talk to it and see if there's any way is like intelligent or it could be reasoned with and i was like well i feel like the right choice there would be to like try and talk to it to see if it's intelligent you know before you dumb I kill fuck it. and that very true because as soon as i was my character goes up and is like, hey there, how you doing? And then it immediately breaks out of the cage and murders this woman. And I was like, oh, fuck. I fucked up. Hey, little guy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what happened. But um, I, I really like that system. It was really cool. Um, the gameplay is fantastic. Uh, the, the combat is great. The platforming the, is something I wanted to note in this game. I don't know if you felt this way, Rich, but I felt like the platforming felt a lot more modern as compared to a game that it was um it was basically paying homage to where the platforming was much tighter it was more forgiving in some ways yeah. it uh, is tightly tuned um in the ways that a modern platformer should which is, i mean like listen up and down i mentioned the first time we talked about this this game is fucking simon's quest like that is what they were trying to make they they did it. They it's less it's far nine hundred percent less obtuse than Simon's Quest. Yeah, that was kind of the issue. It was, is that yeah, Castlevania two decided to be much more interconnected and open, and and then not tell you how anything works, and also and not have tell the you same how to do it. Sort of hit stun that will Shout. lock you, just like knock you all the way into a pit type crap that was in the first one, which was fine in the first one because that was way more about the platforming. 
but then but that's just, not what this game was yeah. yeah 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 i uh sorry about the noise in the background but um gotta deal with this once every fucking episode i swear to god but yes it was uh I'm just gonna let it pass. Hold on. Yep. Okay. Um. I. I. Yeah. I just. I. I couldn't get over how tight the platforming was and how forgiving it was in certain instances. Like, when I think about a game from that time period, if I were to jump into an enemy and try and slash him, nine times out of ten, up or even probably higher percentage wise than that, I'm taking damage from the enemy and. The way the uh, hitboxes are allocated in those games, it isn't, it isn't programmed to where it's tight enough to where you can hit that enemy and you're not going to take damage. But in this game, I, I would multiple times fly into an enemy, be slashing my weapon, and I would hit the enemy, kill him, and then take the place of him. Um, it's, it's such a small thing, but when you look at all those little things, like the, the platformist platforming is tight that platforming is forgiving uh killing enemies it feels organic it feels like the game isn't trying to be cheap it adds up over time because all those little things continue to build upon itself and so i thought the gameplay was incredibly tight um in 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 infernax uh the visuals are very much hearkening back to you know the nes snes probably more nes era of gaming so if you if you have a special place in your heart for that, then you're gonna love the way this game looks visually, um, especially with the creature or the boss designs. Some of those boss designs are insanely cool and grotesque. Um, obviously, that's a lot of where the Castlevania influence comes into play. I I didn't really get the obsession with the eyes. Like each enemy, like you had to be slashing their eyes, or a boss, I should say. Each boss, you're slashing the eyes that's the vulnerable part of every boss and the eyes are located in different parts of each boss i thought that was kind of interesting so they're cast yeah they're resident evil bosses pretty much yes shoot the eyes yes the the eye is the way to kill but yeah that i thought that was a little bit interesting um but the way the the bosses were designed very very cool very creative stuff um so some of the enemies started to feel a little bit samey over time. There's only a limited number of enemies. Uh, it's not a bad thing per se. Um, but I, I did notice that. And I, I did want to note that the, the progression system is pretty good. You never feel like you have to grind too much to level up your character. I felt like there was a good natural speed to my progression. So, and the music is great. I really enjoyed the music. Um, all in all, I think, I mean, it's currently on Game Pass right now. I think that is the best way to play it, but I will probably end up buying this game at some point on a sale because I want to have this game. I really enjoyed this game. There's also a lot of replay value in it. Um, There are cheat codes that you can enter in the game to make it uh, obviously play differently, harkening back to Generations Past. And also, you have the choice of naming your character at the beginning of the game. You can go with the uh, default name, which I believe is Alcinder, uh, or something like that. Um, Alucard. But if you, <laughs> if you uh, instead of having Al, if you put sword in the name, or axe, you can actually change the weapon um, that the character plays with. 
So you can have an axe, you can have a sword, you can have a gun. Which is also ha- a uh, Castlevania holdover. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So uh, I thought that was a cool homage, and I think that was a cool little hidden tidbit there. that you, It gives you a ton of replay value for the game. So uh, I love this game a lot. Uh, I highly recommend if you are into um, Metroidvanias, Castlevania, action-adventure platformers from those generations you will absolutely love this game i i started and i was like i was kicking myself in the ass i was like why did i not fucking play this game sooner because i tell you man you did and i i listened it took me a little bit longer but i listened it's a fantastic game worth your time so uh yeah that is uh the game that is infernax now, uh, let's snap over into a game that I can't believe we're going to be talking about, specifically uh, Marvel Snap. Rich. Mar- Marvel Snap is fucking good, man. Um, okay. Uh, talk, about your, for- talk about your digital crack. Fuck you. Uh, for anyone who has not been on Twitter, uh, Marvel Snap is a free-to-play digital card game from you guessed it marvel but it's important to note the pedigree here uh a lot of people what made the hearthstone and left blizzard worked on this game and it shows um i do genuinely believe this is like one of the best digital card games i have played in a long time um i have after putting a number of hours into it already it was like i should put some money into this so i bought the current season pass which i am already almost done with i'm on like tier 43 out of 50 um this game just clicks for so many reasons. It's easy to pick up for one. The, the conceit is pretty simple. It's a one-on-one card game where at the start of the match, uh, it's a six-turn match. Matches take no more than like five to eight minutes, hmm. uh, which again makes it really easy to enjoy. Um, there are three locations at which you're playing cards. Each player can play up to four cards on a location. Um, the first location reveals what it is on turn one, and over the course of the first three turns, you learn what they all are, and they all have different fact- effects, like uh, playing a card here gives it plus one power. On turn three, every card here will move to two spaces to the right. Um, on turn six, cards cost one more to, to play here, stuff like that. Like, there's all sorts of... Playing a card here adds a copy of it to your opponent's hand, stuff like that. Hmm. Um. And also, every turn, you are given one additional power to play cards, with cards have a stat and a cost. It's This card has three power and cost four to play. And at the end of the, the match, whoever has the most power on a location wins that location. Whoever wins two out of three locations wins the match. Okay. Or the so most, it, you know, if, it sounds like they combined Hearthstone with uh, Air, Land, and Sea. To a degree, yeah, de- yeah, definitely that. Um, I think part of what makes this game work so great is like the progression. You always feel like you're moving somewhere because one, the game starts you with, and this is why it took me a few hours to even put money into it. Uh, it starts new players with a free like sample of kind of how the season pass works. Like it gives you a twenty tier pass that unlocks some cards that are going to help you sort of expand how you play. Um, and on top of that, you are earning what are called collection points, which is basically like you're earning these currencies as you play that you pump into, okay, I am going to upgrade this card, um, which doesn't change how the card works in the game. It just visually changes it. It'll be like, now the card 
is, you know, busting out of the frame and now it's 3D and that adds your collection points. That's and neat. raising your collection points unlocks more cards. And like I'm at like collection level 200 and something now. Um because just just how much I've been plugging away at this. Okay. Uh but it this way it kind of always makes it feel like you're growing and also I think what makes it so adaptable is your deck is only 12 cards. And it makes it feel very low risk to get experimental and just start like swapping things out and being like, I'm going to try this six cost with this four cost and see kind of how things synergize and having a deck that only costs 12 that only has 12 cards also kind of makes it so you're going to most of the 90 percent of the time draw the combos you want, even if it might take a turn longer than you would hope. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of. uh. It's fast paced. It works well. Uh, the snap naming convention comes from basically the way it's ranked uh, is you can get a total of eight points. Uh, and it's 10 points per rank in a match by snapping. Basically, like the Tesseract is in the top corner of it and you and your opponent can snap at any time during the match. And it basically doubles how much you're betting in your rank. If you both mm. snap, it'll be a total deduction or addition of eight points for a winner for a loss. Um, so it's kind of about how confident you're feeling. But I, I mean, yeah. like, honestly, that, that, this on Steam, really it's on sounds like Land, Air and Sea. The more I've been talking about it, because that's another one that's 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 a World War Two card game, basically, where you have three fronts per round that you can win. Um, mm -hmm. That. Is kind of a similar thing, but, you know, instead of a snap system to change how much you're betting, it's like. uh you win a front, but also how much that front is worth is kind of dependent on how much you both played into it. Um, so like if you both overcommit to one side and then, and then you lose it anyway, like, ah, shit, I just, I spent so many extra points here and then yeah, lost it anyway that it's, it's just a major hit to you. You were trying, yeah, so hard to, to move that shit around, but yeah. I mean... This this game just works like it's on Steam, it's on phones, it's free. And if you end up liking it as much as I do, like I didn't feel remotely bad about spending ten dollars on that season pass that I am already almost done with. Like, and it just kind of lets you get like crazy experimental with it. Like that the current season is I think it's like season of the symbiote or something like that, and it's yeah. a lot of Miles Morales Spider Man themed cards. Okay. Um, like one of the first cards I got from that was Carnage, and it ended up being like a staple of my deck because again. Finding those cards that synergize well is a lot of fun. So Carnage's entire gimmick is he's a two cost, two power. But when you play Carnage, he eats all the other cards on the table with him on his first turn. Yeah. And for every single card he destroys, he adds two more to his power. So then I'm kind of synergizing him with other cards that work in cool ways with that. Like Wolverine, for example, is a two cost, three power. And Wolverine's gimmick is... When he gets destroyed, he just reappears somewhere else on the field. So have Carnage kill Wolverine and boost his own power, and then Wolverine just pops up next to him again, ready to go. Like, yeah. there's a lot of good... There's a lot of, like, crazy minutia you can get into it with it, but it's just a really fun, really quick, really easy card game. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, I'm happy you're having fun. The thing is, like... I was telling you privately when I played Elder Scrolls Legends and I was really addicted to that game. Um, I got shit for it all the time on this podcast. I'm not going to give you any shit. 
I mean, I, I actually, uh, I think I was in like the beta group for Elder Scrolls Legends. I did not keep playing that game. That doesn't, that's not a testament to it being bad or something. I, I don't fucking remember how oh, I enjoyed I, it, but. I, I mean, certain, certain games just hold us for certain reasons. So like, I, I get the, I get the online, uh, card game addiction. Like I've been there. That's all I'm saying. So yeah. I won't give you any shit for it. This is really just making me want to play land air or air land and sea now. Cause I, I yeah. I have to break that out. But, um, yeah. don't. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a great card game just to have in your backpack for bringing to a pub or whatever. Real quick. Similar, similar sort of thing. Sort of press your luck area control card game. Like, can you get this 3D hollow Mr. Fantastic in Land, Air, and Sea? No, and I have to say I think that's a point in its favor. Agree to disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speak of uh, going quick, I'm going to do a very quick update on my time with Cyberpunk 2077. For weeks now, I've been talking about wanting to... That anime? No, this was a segue from us talking about Sonic forever ago. It's just very, very (laughs) timely. No, Josh, you said it's good to bring uh, Land, Air, and Sea deck in. Uh, to a pub because it, it could oh. be a game that goes really quick. That oh, was I, I, I thought I th- well, you said gotta go fast, and that just the, the specific wording was very. I did not say gotta go fast, but okay. I gotta go fast. That's exactly what you said. Shut up! <laughs> You're not even fucking paying attention. So what? He started a game. He's he's playing yeah, more Marvel Snap. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little bitch. Um, I've been talking about for weeks now wanting to jump back into Cyberpunk 2077 just to see the updates and see how it plays. Um, coming off the anime and really enjoying that first season. So I wanted to jump back into Cyberpunk and I wanted to give it, um, you know, like a a fair shake at seeing like what they've updated. I. Out of the three of us, I probably enjoyed the game the most. I actually had a lot of fun with the game. And so I wanted to see how the updates made the game play. You know, I I played it on my base PS4 when it originally came out, and I still played it update-wise on the base PS4. And so I wanted to see the performance. The performance is markedly better. Uh, I ran into far less glitches than um, when I originally played. I had less issues with the cars, less issues with people disappearing. That being said, I still ran into some of those glitches. Um, I took a video of one such glitch, uh, which made me laugh a lot. I'm going to have to whip it out and send it to you guys, uh, the, the video. That's what we've been asking for. That's the thing I'm going to whip out and send to you guys. Realize that's what I was saying. I was like, i, I got to make sure I clear Yeah, it. you really got to yeah. watch your verbiage. In this economy. But uh, I'll have to send you guys that video. There are still some glitches. I remember I was running around in this neighborhood and it felt eerily vacant. And there was nobody driving for like three blocks. There was nobody walking. And I thought I got to a part in the game where maybe that this is like an abandoned part of the city or whatever. So I, I ran three blocks and then there are some people that populated and I ended up actually running the wrong way, so I had to run back through that area I just ran through, and suddenly there were cars and people running around. Yeah. <coughs> Spawning issues. Just like the real world. A pretty common <coughs> bug there, which 
I think are funny because a lot of times stuff stuff was just spawning in the wrong spot. Like my favorite of which was the uh, the phone calls you'd get with somebody video calling you, and occasionally the game would just spawn them right next to you in the world, and they'd be on the phone next to you, and yeah. you could just find them, which was hilarious. I, like that kind of stuff was always funny. Yeah. I had some when I started the game. I don't know if this is a bug or just a feature, uh, but. As soon as I booted up the game, I got like six phone calls in a row, and they just <laughs> kept coming. I was like, "Fucking Christ!" Um, yep. They just kept coming. the The game has updated to where they've included a few small things from the anime. There's an actual cutscene and a mission uh, based off the anime, so they've integrated some of the anime into the game. Uh, it's very uh, surface level, I would say. There is not a lot of obviously new content there. Um, it's been mainly performance updates and things of that nature. So I, I played for one night. I, I did a few missions. I did a few like random world encounters, like police sighting, stuff like that. And I played, I think, for about three or four hours. And I didn't have any major glitches. Um, I had a few funny ones, a few random ones, but otherwise, nothing major. The game did play more smoothly. But a- after that three or four hours, I was kind of filled. I was like, I there needs to be more content here for me to come back to the game. Yeah. But I, I did have fun with it. I will say that. Like, I did have fun with it again. It did play better. So there is that. And it has me, honestly, um... Probably I'm going to be the only one to say this, and that's fine. I am hopeful for whatever DLC they end up coming out with for Cyberpunk 2077. I will be there when it drops because I'm excited to see what they do. Um, but definitely uh, the, the, a lot of the issues that you guys cited and other people have cited where the city was supposed to be like next level bustling with lively activity, it's still not there. Um, even with all the updates and stuff, it's still not there. And like one of the things we talked about all the way back in 2020 with this game is that you could be running down the street and see like 10 people that have the same character model. I didn't run into it as much, but I still ran into that with this game. Yeah. So even the funniest if- thing was at launch, it would do that, which like that's every game, but it would like it would seem to get like stuck in a loop and it would do that with like the kid character that's supposed to be walking around. I'm like, and it's just very noticeable when, you know, right. Yeah. All of a sudden you've got, you know, two school buses full of the same, you know, little 12 year old character model just wandering around you. (laughs) Like this is, it's it's (laughs) not game breaking. It's just like, it's those things are preventing it from reaching the next level that the game ultimately hoped to achieve that. uh, CD project red was, toting the game as B. So, um, again, not game-breaking. It's not the end of the world, but those things still exist in the game currently. They haven't been fixed as of the time of we uh, us recording this and uh, putting it out there. It hasn't been fixed. But I, it has me hopeful, uh, all the fixes that they have made so far have me hopeful for the DLC. <clears throat> so, remains to be seen what happens there. But yeah, I just wanted to give that quick update because I figured, you know, um, I've been talking about it for a while. We kind of been talking about it and I wanted to see, I wanted to give it a, you know, like a, a fair a update. Try. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But um I've played more games this week, but I think that I want to talk about them next week because I want to there's a game I'm currently playing now that I want to finish before I talk about. It. I was talking with you guys off the air. And then uh I'm going to be talking about a big game next week. Finally getting around to that one. And then the week after that, we have God of War, Ragnarok. Mhm. I'm excited. That's true. That. I'm excited for that. I was getting Everything you just said is fact. Um that that game right now is getting fucking mad good ratings and reviews like there are multiple publications that have called it the best game that's ever been made i don't think i've seen anything lower than a nine no not a single place has given it lower than a nine i mean there's one that gave it a four out of five excuse me i'm sorry that's not what i mean you know that's not what i mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but uh anyways uh richest penis is small and we're gonna get out of here um yeah everybody already knew that well, I didn't know if you were paying attention or if you were paying more attention to your game. I wanted to check. Are you talking to me? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want more content from us, head over to swordchomp.com where we have more podcasts. We have an article section which is about to be bustling. That's um, a good one. Good one, Morgan. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm making it sound like I'm not paying attention. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I was like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> that was good. That was my fault. Uh, we have a bunch yeah. of new reviews and stuff going up at the article section. Um, Ray and Rich are getting some stuff up, so check that out there. Um, we have a merchandise store, store.sortchomp.com, where you can buy some sweet stuff. And last but not least, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash swordchomp which um, you get rewarded for supporting the show, supporting us as we make a bunch of content for free, essentially, with, without the support of the patrons. Uh, we would be doing this completely for free, and it allows us to make more content, spend more time trying to make things that you guys, we think you guys will like, and we also ourselves like. So if you're interested in that, head over to patreon.com slash we're going to get out of here. I want to say thank you to Josh and Rich for being here. Thank you both so, so much. I was your host, Shay. Uh, we will be back next week for another exciting episode of the Chompcast. Thank you. Take care. And that's what we say. <laughs>